Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Out of the Hourglass, a podcast channel presented by Nola Consulting Group. Today is a podcast highlight episode, a chance to look back at some of the episodes released this past year and focus on the subjects that really struck home. You'll hear clips from five past discussions featuring a variety of voices and topics. We encourage you to listen to the full episodes if a particular highlight really captures your interest. To start, we'll bring you Grit and the Hero's Journey, featuring Brian Nolan and Terrence Nolan. This is a discussion around battling resistance, as well as how we can all find ourselves on the hero's journey. Striving to understand pushback, embracing self-awareness, and overcoming mistakes to become the best version of ourselves. bring us up to date since our last podcast together where you entertained us with stories from childhood uh, to major career changes that you recently had. How how goes the battle against resistance? You know, resistance with that capital R, that things that stops us from doing the things we were meant to do. How goes the battle, T? Yeah, yeah. The battle, um, I would say I'm engaged, um, as Jean-Luc Picard from uh, Star Trek would say. Uh, The the recent description to a friend, uh, for those of you who remember the original Star Wars movie, uh, was being on the um, edge of the Millennium Falcon and shooting down uh, ships as they from the Empire as they came in at high. That's that's what the days feel like a little bit. Just ba boom, ba boom, ba boom, ba boom. But um, happy to say that uh, I'm I'm uh, I'm fully engaged in the work, and um, resistance is uh, reliable in as much as it shows up constantly. Yeah, and uh, some days it beats you, and some days you beat it, and that's that's what I've enjoyed the most since our last podcast is that awareness. That uh, all right, awareness got um, resistance got me today, uh, but I'll get it tomorrow, and so. Like our last podcast, I did not get out to run that morning. I remember saying, yeah, it got me this morning. But I, I ran this morning. Uh, of course, it's a beautiful day in June. So uh, resistance lost this morning. Yeah, this is uh, grit. Uh, I'm going to get into here shortly the concept of grit. I'm reading a, a book by Angela Duckworth uh, called Grit, uh, The Power of Passion and Perseverance. And um, it's a very powerful book for you listeners out there. And uh, there's a grit scale uh, and there are 10 questions where you see how gritty you are. And she actually uses the word gritty over and over again. And uh, the second question on on the grit scale is setbacks don't discourage me. I don't give up easily. And you have options of uh, five options, very much like me, mostly like me, someone like me, not much like me, et cetera. Uh, And so, this is the key to uh, becoming a hero in the hero's journey, which is really what we're going to focus on here now. Um, T and I, uh, since the last podcast, have been moving from resistance to this concept of, of the hero. And the hero, uh, hero's journey comes from a, a book by Joseph Campbell and the whole concept of being a hero um, and it's not the concept like we think of Superman and Batman. Uh, um, hey, T, in your mind, though, what is a hero? Um, how do you define hero as, as you interpret it? Well, if first of all, it's not, a, it's not a, um, necessarily a, um, it's not an exclusive club like 
uh, if you're a human, you, you, you can be a hero, right? Um, it may be though that there are, um, there are not that many people who, who make a choice that they, to follow that path because it's not, um, it's not an easy road uh, for sure. It's an intentional one. Um, and it has to do with making a choice uh, to be uh, living at the edge of your uh, unfolding, at the edge of evolving, at being um, willing to be, take the courageous step to take risk because you know that that's what living more fully looks like. And the hero's journey is filled with trials and tribulations because if you are really willing to put yourself out there, take that risk, then you're going to face obstacles and those obstacles are going to test you. And it's in that testing that you learn more about yourself and, and that you live more fully or you grow or you're willing to take the pain for what is traded, which is perhaps wisdom, but you've got to be willing to take the hits. Um, so that's the, the journey, that's the hero's journey. And what you bring back, what you bring back to share is what you've learned. We kicked off a fantastic Levels of Work series featuring Katherine Freeman and Andrew Amrine. The Level 1 episode starts off everything at the very beginning, an introduction to the concept and Level 1. This series discusses different levels of work and understanding the concept of time span for each employee on your team. And as, as complexity goes up, this idea of time span, the longer it takes to complete a task. And so this is measurable. We're, again, we're, we're working our way back into, into creating something measurable that I can interview for, that I can, I can train, I can, I can listen for as I'm working with people so that when I choose the person I want to promote, from level one to now level two work. First, am I recognizing in my mind that those aren't transferable? This isn't a transferable situation. I can go from a, from a craftsman or from a laborer to a craftsman by betting, getting better at the craft. That's a natural progression of accumulating knowledge. There's no change really in the type of problem solving. It's I'm accumulating knowledge, but, but now going from craftsman to foreman or craftsman to field supervisor, it's a totally different type of work and it's got, it's got to be trained and I can, I can train it, I can look for it, I can interview for it so that I don't make the mistake. Now, this is also why the best craftsman doesn't always make the best field supervisor. How many of us have made that mistake, right? Oh, I, yeah, yeah, we take off our shoes to, to count, right? Right. I mean, there's a name for it. It's the Peter principle. You promote people until they fail. And so how do we fix the Peter principle? I can do it. I can, I can do it through experience, but Elliot and Tom Foster have done the work for us here. This, this is the reason this is so powerful is they, they have done the work and here are the points at which there needs to be a different promotion or interviewing process because now the work has changed and just because someone is a just because someone is a great field supervisor, just because someone is a, a great field supervisor, 
doesn't mean they're not, doesn't mean they're going to be a great manager just because right in your, in your store, right. Just because they were a good section supervisor didn't mean that, that they could now create time schedules and deal with hiring and firing issues and create system. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's bring it back because, you know, in some of these cases, it's, we know this, our business owners know it because they've already watched and they know that they can only leave certain team members alone for a certain amount of time, right? Bingo. So already watching it. It works on both sides of the equation. I can define tasks that are more complex and I can group those tasks now together in appropriate roles based on time span, based on complexity and and how long it takes to complete. And I can also assess an individual and how, and, and really how long I can leave them alone. And I know that might feel kind of derogatory um, to a certain extent, but that's the observable part. That's where this connects to things like situational leadership or some of the sales training we do. I can't handle When I'm working with people, I don't want to deal with pie in the sky, sort of just silly things that I I can't see. These are observable things. And and we all know that we, like you said, we have people, I can leave this guy alone for, you know, an hour or two or a day and, but longer than that and things go wrong. Yes, that's, yes. One of the best things you can do is take all of the people on your team and write down how long you can leave them alone in their current role without things going wrong. And then focus your conversations, prioritize their skill development by asking Johnny, here's what are the things we need to work on in order to increase the amount of time you can work independently on your own. That's the whole goal. It works across any company, across any trade. What's the universal issue we're trying to solve, and that's time span, is growing people's time span. How to win friends and influence others using DISC. I had the privilege to sit down with Colin Nolan, NCG coach, for a discussion on applying Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People to DISC assessments. Those who work with us know that understanding DISC is an essential to building your team and ensuring that you have the right people in the right places at every level of your company. Yeah, so let's let's get in. Let's do a, we'll do a brief overview of yeah, because I feel like profile. Uh, sure. you know, you and I are really familiar with you know what's a high S high, high I, and so are probably other listeners. But let's let's just bring it to the forefront again. Yeah, absolutely. So um, let let's quickly hit the we touch mostly on the on the behavioral profiles here as opposed to motivators. So we'll we'll, we'll focus on that. So there's D I S C. Right. Those are, are the four behavioral profiles. And I'll, I want to talk about them in, in context of what these people value, uh, what a high D values. So a high D okay. values winning. They value directness. Um, the fact that people will always know where they stand with me, right? They're, they don't have so much of a social filter. They say what they need to say. They're driven to achieve and to win for their own reasons, right? Mm-hmm. I is relationship-based. They value relationships, um, being liked, being seen as important. Uh, it's important to them how they are viewed by other people, that they're liked by other people. Um, they're more emotional. They value emotion uh, as well. Yes, 
people who are higher risk, they value loyalty. They value being looked upon as extremely reliable. Uh, they're, they're very um, structured. They, they're typically organized. They like being the, the, the rock, right? People can always rely on me. They're similarly emotional as the I. Uh, however, whereas the I wants to be liked, the S wants to be accepted, a part of the group. Uh, and then the C is kind of the ant antithesis of the, of the D. Um, very logic-based. Uh, they value logic and accuracy, order, following systems, compliance. Um, they, whereas the D wants to win, the C doesn't so much want to lose, right? Mm. That's, that's, so the D and the C are internally focused. The I and the S are externally focused. So when we go through these principles here, a lot of them, a lot of these principles will apply to that fact. So don't criticize, condemn, or complain, right? Who wouldn't want to be criticized, condemned? I know one wants to be, of course, right? Right. But, but my, my argument would be that Ds and Cs are able to accept criticism and people condemning them, their ideas or what they're doing more, more uh, they might receive it better than an I or an S. Why? Because Ds and Cs aren't so much focused on what other people think about them as much as Is and Ss are. If I'm an I or an S and I'm emotional, Right. And I, I don't say emotional is a bad thing. I, I, you know, emotional is a good thing, right? It means that you're, yeah. you, you feel, right. You feel on a deep level. If you feel like someone is criticizing and condemning you often, that is really going to have a massive impact on your, your happiness. Right. So we never want to criticize, condemn or complain anybody, but when, but someone who's a high D for example, they may value, like I said before, being direct. So in their mind, they're going, well, I'm just being direct with them, telling them where they stand with me. That's something that's good. I'm telling them that. Well, it's coming across as you're criticizing and condemning them, right? So something you value is completely going against something that they value. And to say the same, yeah, and I mean, the same, the same for the C. A C doesn't want to lose. So if you're maybe criticizing a system that is a losing system, they might get that. Their, their, their main goal is they want to figure out they don't they want might. to lose. They, 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 they might. might. Um, that, they'll probably take your criticism from a logical place of not so right. much looking at the, the emotional impact of it, but like, okay, so what are his actual points here? Okay. Right. And if they don't think your points are good, then they're, they're going to totally disregard you. Right. Uh, C's, C's are very content in their own world. I have my system. I, I know my system well. I follow it for a reason. Right. Um, so a couple of other, other ones here. So be, become genuinely interested in other people, be a good listener. Those are both uh, two points that he makes and the ways to make people like you. Uh, again, very important for when you're working with I's and S's, right? A I and S really need to be listened to. So if you have people like, like that on your team, that is extremely important to listen to people, especially S's, I would say, because I's, are more likely to, to not be disregarded um, or not be dis, dis um, what's where I'm looking for, to not, to not be upset if someone's not listening to them because they don't just talk. Whereas S's want to talk, but they want to talk to someone who eagerly actually wants to listen to them, right? It's, I mean, think about how important that is. If you have someone on your team who you know that if you just give them five to 10 minutes of being able to to talk, get their mind, get their mind across, to chat about their day, 
that that will satisfy them in a way that you might not fully understand if you're not mm-hmm. that similar profile, but it's just that, that little, that little, that 10 minutes of listening will go very far. Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, if you're a D or a C as your profile, you may be going, you may not understand why it's important, but the key to managing people is you don't do things because you think they're important. You do things because they are important. Right. Well, I, I, I shouldn't have to listen to them. I, I don't need someone to listen to me. Well, it doesn't matter about you. It's not about you. It's about them. What's going to work for your team. That's what, what you do they need. need. Right. Exactly. Um, so moving, moving down through his bullets here. Right. So how to win, win people to your way of thinking. One of his principles is the only way to get the best of an argument is to avoid it. Um, so my, I see this as being really impactful people who are high D's and high C's. So when, it, when a high D is challenged, they get that they, they want to push back as hard as they're being pushed. Right. Um, Watch out. Similarly with, with a high C they're they're so locked into their system, a way of doing things that arguments typically don't go very, very well. Right. All right. So how do you, how do you combat that? Well, through some of the other principles that he has here, try honestly to see things from the other person's point of view. Right. High C's and high D's have very uh, polarized sometimes points of view. How can you see it from their perspective? How can you work with them from, from a high C in a logical place? Um, how can you work with a high D? Right? A high D has got a bit of an ego to them. Um, they they want, want to win. Right. So throwing down a challenge with a high D very important when it, when it comes to, I, I, I get that we're not on the same page here, but can I challenge you to come over to, to my, to my way of thinking, right? High D's is, love to overcome challenges. What I say with, with the use of that kind of language, be empowering here to say, let, let me chat, like, let, let me challenge you to actually use the word challenge because Absolutely. that's what innately speaks to them. And remember, this is how just this, these folks naturally operate. They can't necessarily con- this is how this is how their DNA works. They they cannot control their behaviors in a sense of how they've been built. They can be they can work on those behaviors and work to understand people, but a natural key is always going to instinctively push back, yeah. be directive. So speak to them in that language. Absolutely. If you if you say the word, I want to give you a chat or the phrase. I want to challenge you here. I want to throw down a challenge here to a high D. It's going to get a response. Because they hear the word challenge and they think I want to overcome that challenge. Okay. Right? Um, so, uh, what one of the other bullet points in how when people do your way of thinking is begin in a friendly way, right? Beginning in a friendly way is more of an external factor as opposed to the the internal of the DC, right? So that's beginning in a friendly way is really important for the I's and the S's. Who are the I's and S's in, in on, on your team? How do you need to begin a conversation with them? as opposed to with the D's and C's, right? Um, so that's, that, that's really it's, important for them. It's a difference of a good morning, Colin, versus a, Colin, I need you to do this. The, the good Absolutely. morning, Colin, how are you? You know, are you having a good week so far versus the get right to the point? Definitely. Absolutely. And it can be, be difficult for people to, to adapt that because, number one, they've, they've been going about they've had what's built in. They've been going about their life for a certain way for so long, right? That to 
adjust how you begin conversations with people and how you approach people. If you're not a naturally an I or an S, uh, it can definitely be, be a challenge. Um, can I, it's because people also, what they hear, they can also take in personally. So if you speak to me and I mean, I am a higher I, I have, an higher, I have a higher S. Uh, if you speak to me in a way that a, a D wants to be spoken to, I'm immediately going to be thrown off, think that there's an issue that you don't like me and I'm going to internalize that. Versus if you Absolutely. give me an, a nice, friendly hello, well, then we're, then we're, then we're great. Mm-hmm. You have to think about how the, how the other person is, is receiving the way you're communicating to them. Recruiting. It's an issue that continues to be felt coast to coast, not only in the trades, but in every industry. We throw it back to a conversation with Kevin Nolan to talk about ideas that they're using to be creative at Nolan Painting. It's an ongoing discussion of best practices. Well, you know, as I've said in, in, over the last year, actually, it's been harder to get people uh, to stick with us than, than it was before the pandemic. And that's because of there's been so many displaced workers. And rather than uh, somebody choosing to work for Nolan Painting for a specific reason, like they wanted a better job, they've chosen us as a lifeline. Oh, they'll, they'll take anything they can get. We're paying $15 an hour to start with no experience. Uh, I'll take it. And then, yeah. they, then they work for us for a few weeks or months. And it's just not a great fit for them. Um, and so we've had more of that turnover that's, that's sort of exhausting uh, than we had before. So, so I, I think the other thing to understand is the source of our, of our uh, employees uh, previously, the last five years or so, were by and large millennials. And mm-hmm. so the millennials are aging up, as you know. You've heard me say the word millennials, Molly. You always joke when I said it, but you should be. You say it. Yeah. You say aging up, and I know it I'm getting yeah. older. Well, you know, just like the baby boomers, you've seen the impact that your generation yeah. is having. It's significant. And when you're looking at trends, you know, I, I'm old enough now to see a few of them. And I've seen the tremendous uh, power that the millennial generation has. But just like that, it's also now aging up. And they've, many of them have found a place where they're working in society. And uh, some of them haven't. And now if they stumble upon our doorstep, they might not exactly be the cream of the crop. So they, now that's not to say we can't be a home for somebody who transitions from one job to the next. And we obviously are optimistic about those types of scenarios. Mm-hmm. And we still produce that because we're a best place to work. People here agree things about us. A 30-year-old joins us and finally founds a home, you know, because we because we look for engagement and we try to provide, you know, lots of opportunities. So, but just, I also have to come up with a, a better approach, a uh, longer term, because, you know, mm-hmm. we have aggressive growth plans. We have this opportunity like in, of uh, almost once in a lifetime coming out of COVID. Uh, we're, we're really strong and we, and home improvement is the demand is amazing. We've already got this tremendous backlog, over $3 million worth of residential work lined up. And we have to come up with a better approach uh, to basically scale up. And all, the, in the beginning of the year, we were talking about putting together um, a 
recruitment program uh, in high schools. Uh, get people that come out that are not planning on going to college, that are considering other things, not necessarily the trades, uh, mm -hmm. but just other things that people, I don't think people necessarily want to think of it in terms of the trades. I think they'd rather just think of it in terms of a job, a great job, one that I like going to every day. I don't know if it's a trade or not a trade. Um, one that has a one that does have a career path to it. And I think that's part of the issue. And maybe it's a stigma uh, that by going into the trades, you might not make that much money. You might not be able to be a manager. You know, you kind of top out somewhere. But that's actually false. I mean, from what we've seen at Nolan Painting and on all a lot of contractors that we work with, there is a solid career path in the trades world. There is good money to be made. There are teams to be managed, people skills and leadership that is that is needed. The, the sky is the limit. And how can we how can we show people that? Well, and you make a good point because at the end of the day, you have to have that career track in place. And it has to be very well defined, not just vaguely in your head, and then we'll make them in something. We have what we've really done successfully over the last couple of years is build these learning paths yep. um, and put the structure in place to train people to become really excellent painters and leaders in a short amount of time. You know, mm -hmm. I've kind of taken that military format approach. Like, really, if you give me three years with somebody with some talent, I can turn them into a leader of a team or a leader of a, a squad where they're making good money um, and they're, they have a lot of autonomy and control, but you have to have that path. I think it has to be there. <laughs> Otherwise, you're going to bump up all the time against uh, now you have a bunch of new people and it's not working out for you because it's kind of chaos. So, right. Um, and we have defined how many apprentice level ones, and that's what we're calling them, apprentice level mm -hmm. ones, but with no experience, how many we can handle, and then what the path is. I need, them to, I need them to get to an apprentice level two in 90 days, or we're going to part company friends. And then I need them to get to become a P1 painter, basic level painter, and within one year from date of hire, so nine more months. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we force this issue. Uh, we look at hire date. We look at time to that, that expiration date, one year. And yep. we're looking to push them to qualify uh, to be able to do what, we're, what we need them to do in terms of uh, hitting all the, all the qualities a painter needs to have. You know, we need to hit production rates. They have to be... Um, able to be neat and clean. Um, obviously, they have to be able to do all the other things that are behavior-wise, show up on time, good customer service skills. So these are all very well-defined. And then you can recruit people to it, right? You have to have a team, yep. team, and then you recruit people to the team. Well, I love the structure of it because it sets expectations right away for both the employer and the management and the employees. So someone comes in and starts out as an apprentice or in a trainee and knows exactly what they need to do 
to succeed within that first year to get to that next level. There's no questions. It's all laid out for them. Also, to come in and see that there was a training program is, you know, it's important. It, it also speaks to the culture. It also shows them that management wants them to succeed. And your managers who are doing the managing have an outline and they are able to lead properly. And they're following a process. So we're getting back to the system and processes that are in place. Much of what I do in that process is just keep reminding people of the process. Right. Uh, it's funny because it's like uh, I, I have to sort of constantly reinforce this process or it would slip away. People would be less likely to enforce this. All right, well, he's been here for a year. And he's not a painter yet. What's the story with this guy? You know, and so I forced that process. That's exactly the conversation we had yesterday. Um, and this person, uh, I'll tell you one of the reasons why is because the way we're structured is the apprentice does not get charged as much to the job as a full-fledged painter. So the, the leaders, the team leaders, Maybe they don't want that person to be moved up because they're borderline. Mm-hmm. And now they're going to be counted as a full 100% painter, eight hours. Um, I mean, in our end, we're only giving them another dollar or two an hour, but now all of a sudden they're being counted full. So right. I face this resistance um, at the same time, the system, you know, everybody's supporting the system, everybody's suing to this system. And then you get to this point where like, and usually it's about an individual. It's not, it's not systemic. Like yesterday's conversation with the field manager was, Jack is doing great. He's a painter. Make him a painter. He's been here 10 months. Mm-hmm. And then the other one was, um, Jared, Jared, Jared's been here almost a year. I don't know what's up with Jared. Um, he's sort of going nowhere. I'm like, well, he's got two weeks to become a painter or we're going to have to part company friends. Um, yeah. That's a tough reality, but... You know, we talk about discipline and how discipline creates um, just such a better structure when people follow it. Well, I feel like that, yeah, that's a tough reality, but at the same time, that's, that's you also giving respect to the system and giving respect to the job leaders and the field supervisors who are looking to get people on their team who can produce the work. And so if you're just going to let someone who really isn't qualified to be at that painter level or that basic foreman level... Oh. Stay at or stay at an apprentice forever. Right. And basically, no one's, no one's really willing to confront. And the next thing you know, your, your company is just not as sharp as it needs to be. We round out today with a highlight of operational field leadership featuring Brian Nolan. It's no secret that operations plays a critical role in making the wheels turn in a business. We discuss the responsibilities, the role itself, to make sure that you have the right person for the right job. What we're talking about is these are the people that protect your brand, right? First and foremost, because your customers experience a brand mm-hmm. and that is, um, and we're talking about, about safety, which, which is part of your brand. We're talking about training employees is a, a major role. And I need to feel supervisor to partner usually with, human resources from a tracking standpoint. We're talking about culture. Man, 
the uh, culture of your entire field cascades down from the field supervisor. We're talking about a person who understands that a problem that happens every day is an opportunity for them to coach and develop crew leaders to solve problems. What happens a lot is a field supervisor becomes the king problem solver mm. and they run around. And if they're not doing that, they become delivery boy and they're delivering materials from place to place to place. We often coach and teach around situational leadership. And um, this is what I, I'd like to see more of. I'd like to see more of field leaders understanding what's also known as SL2, situational leadership, so they can develop their, their crews. Um, but they, they have to focus on developing people, working themselves out of a job, if you will. It's interesting. I never really realized it, I think, until this moment when you talked about how much the field leadership represents the brand, because not only are they the leadership for the field and for the guys out there doing the work every day who are interacting with the customers, uh, when issues happen, the field leader you know, and when the customer wants to talk to a manager or leadership, it's going right to the field leadership first. It's not going, it should not go directly to the owner. That's owner should be the last resort. Um, so from a culture standpoint, from a leadership standpoint, from a brand standpoint, from a, from customer facing to the field, they're kind of your everything. So if they're not matching who you, your values or who you believe should be leading your company, if, let's say if you were gone for a week, then they're not the person you want in that role. Man, it's, a, it's, it's how are these people treating your people? And uh, so getting the right person in, in there, as an owner, if you're listening to this, this podcast, make sure your field leader makes uh, judgment calls um, like you would. Teach them how to solve problems with, with crew leaders. Teach them how to treat people because, you know, the number one reason why people leave a company is why, Ma? Because of their bosses or their managers. Don't, they don't, don't like them. They don't like their boss. They don't feel respected. They don't feel mm -hmm. like they're cared for. I know wage is an issue right now, um, but let's, let us not forget that if people feel relevant, cared for, supported, someone's developing them, someone's developing them, uh, they, they may not leave. Um, so such an important role. Um, and of course, let us not forget, forget hiring of people involved in that role. There is a lot of stuff running through this individual and it is a stressful role. So speaking of all of the things that are running through this individual, what are the KPIs that an ops leader should be accountable for? And then there's, I know there's a bunch. There are, you know, and let's really differentiate, um, sales from revenue, okay? Sales goals, revenue goals. Um, we know sales and marketing is responsible for sales dollars, but those are contracts signed. Um, the operations leader is responsible for build revenue. They need to know how much revenue to bill in a month. And if they don't know this, then they're just operating blindly. They need to know um, how many hours need to be billed in a month. 
they own revenue first and foremost. Most they own gross profit percentage. Uh, this is revenue minus cost of goods sold. Um, productivity. Productivity is a KPI. I think that is not talked about enough. Productivity is budgeted hours divided by actual hours. So uh, sales, sells and they give a job scope and there's so many hours assigned. Let's take all those jobs in a month and um, how did the field do against all those hours? Productivity, 100%, they're right on. 102%, they came in under budget. 95%, they came in over budget. So this is an important um, metric and it's not often understood, but it's so simple. Budgeted hours divided by actual hours, all the jobs. And then let's, let's cascade that down. Let's do a productivity by crew leader. Mm. All the jobs that they ran, budgeted hours divided by actual hours. Let's also talk about um, revenue per hour, RPH, um, for every hour worked, how much revenue is coming in. This is quite simply revenue build divided by the field payroll hours. Let's talk about gross profit per hour, which is quite simply the gross profit um, in the month uh, divided by the hours worked, field payroll hours. Let's talk about the net promoter score, NPS. This is not a, a well understood customer service metric, um, but it, it is the most universal customer service metric across all industry. NPS is quite simply uh, the percent of promoters um, minus the percent of detractors. Uh, answering the question on a scale of one to 10, how likely are you to refer us to a friend, peer, or family member? Um, so that's pretty important because if you're not willing to refer a company, then you didn't do a good job. So there's really, that's, that's the one question that's the only question you really need to make this happen. Because we know the promoters, the ones who are happy, are certainly happy to share your information with a friend or a family member. We also know that detractors, the people who weren't so happy, are also a very loud voice in the room. Yeah, yeah. I, I often say these are the people at the bus stop and, and they're saying, hey, you know, you got to hire Nolan Painting. They're amazing. They just did this and that. Or these are the people at the bus stop saying, you don't want to hire them and uh, your brand goes from there. Um, so change the, change the bus stop to social media and Facebook platform. And <laughs> that's where it gets very, very messy. So you want, you want your, uh, the people who like you uh, to be louder than the voices that don't like you. So this, is your, this is your brand experience. And so if you, if you really think about it, the head of hops is responsible for the brand experience of your entire business. Thanks for listening to this episode. Out of the Hourglass is recorded and produced by the team at Nolan Consulting Group, a nationwide business consulting firm with coaches located around the country. Have a question, comment, or idea for a future episode? We'd love to hear from you. Visit our website, www.nolancg.com.